Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith, and this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 38. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's so good to see you. I it's was talking been to a our minute. audience. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. How are you doing? <laughs> I mean, fine. I'm I kidding. Guess. No, How it's okay. Doing? I know we haven't seen each other in a minute. Yeah, it's been so, a while. I know. So it was a, a fun week for the pod. Yeah, it was. We had a great week last week, and it was really fun because we got to hear from a lot of our listeners, including. Including the love story that we did last week of Laura and Brayden. I know. And they sent us, or Laura, I think, sent us a really nice message on Instagram and just saying, like, thank you for telling our story. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you for letting us tell your story. (laughs) But it just is so nice because you never know when you're, you know, we realize when we're telling these stories, we're talking about real people. Yeah. And so... We don't ever want to like get it wrong or tell the story in a way that they feel is like exploiting them or you know or not or not just not getting it right. I always worry too because the name of our show is Dumb Love, and then we're always posting about you know murders and dumb criminals and things like that. So when people, real life people, get tagged in love stories. I hope that they're not looking at this like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> thought that too. nice at the end. It's nice. <laughs> I promise. No, no, no. We're not making fun of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so that was Thank nice. you for letting us tell your story. We yes. really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a beautiful story. And yeah. um, if you haven't looked them up on Instagram, they're at Figanello Productions, and they are just take beautiful pictures. So you yeah. should check them out. And they're beautiful. And they're, they're a really good-looking couple. They are a really good-looking couple. <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right. So should we get into our dumb criminal quickies? Let's do it. <laughs> hey, Jack. Hey, Sally. You know how it's impossible to go out on a date? Yes. What was the last date that you and Zach went on? Um, I... Do you see how long your pause is? Yes. You can't even think of when the last time you went on a date with your husband? Well, we technically went out on a date for Valentine's, the Tuesday before Valentine's, because I was able to get a sitter. And this was such a funny like gift of the Magi type, um, trying to get a babysitter. Like Zach and I were both messaging the same people. Oh. And they were like, I already told you no. <laughs> like, we were trying to surprise each other with oh. uh, a date night, but we, we kept like messaging the same people. Oh, that's um, hilarious. But we finally got one, and but we could only get it for a Tuesday, and that was the uh, night I had a show. So it turned into like the date was Zach watching my show. Yeah, we had a little dinner beforehand. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that was what Ben and I's Valentine's Aww. date ended up being. We went to dinner, and then and then I I took him to a show that I was doing. We and are then we, so romantic. We're so romantic. <laughs> well. Since you know how hard it is to go on a date, imagine if you and Zach were out to dinner and then a robber busted into the restaurant with a gun. You'd be like, you better pay my sitter. I hope you this is worth $15 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I don't know what I would do. I would. I think my fight or flight is um, to 
fall to the floor and cower. That's mine too. Like what I would do. Have we talked about this before? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's to freeze and fall. (laughs) (laughs) So that is what happened when newlyweds Chase and Nicole McEwen were out for their weekly Saturday date night. They obviously don't have kids. They get to go out every week at Raising Cane's. Yeah, chicken fingers in Louisville, Kentucky. So they've actually, so I know they well, they've been going to this restaurant every Saturday since they had their first meal there on their wedding night six really? months ago. Yeah. Okay, it's six, it's been six months. It's been six months. <laughs> <laughs> Let's explore some different different uh, options for dining. You yeah, maybe get it. <laughs> sentiment is nice but sentiment is nice but maybe those chicken fingers are real good I, you know i don't know these chicken fingers i don't know so maybe. i mean they must be good because it's in louisville the home of kfc okay so the this couple and me qns are sitting down with their food and they see a man into the restaurant and he's wearing one of those surgical face masks and his hood is up but they kind of think like coronavirus coronavirus exactly right. they're like yeah everybody's wearing these face masks actually Max and I were at Target, and there were a couple people wearing them. And Max goes, why are there doctors at Target? (laughs) (laughs) So they didn't think much of it. They thought, okay, maybe this is a sick person. But then they see the cashier raising her hands, and they (gasps) realize that the man was attempting to rob the restaurant. Oh, my God. Unfortunately for the robber, the McEwens are not just lovebirds, but they're also both police officers who happen to be off-duty. And so Chase is a detective and Nicole is a patrol officer and they both work at the Elizabethtown Police Department. And when they saw what was happening, Nicole whispered, is he doing what I think he's doing? And Chase was like, yeah. And then just with a look at each other, they both like sprung into action. Oh my God. So you actually can see on the security footage, you can see both Nicole and Chase stand up from their booth. They pull out their guns. It's like a movie. And then they are, you see them like warning the guy to drop his weapon. And the guy turns and runs out the door and both of uh, Nicole and Chase run after him and they quickly cornered him in a nearby yard and they held him there with their, at gunpoint waiting until backup came. And Chase said that he and his wife that they try to prioritize teamwork in the relationship as well as in their career. In marriage, we've got each other. We're going to talk things out. We're going to deal with whatever comes at us. And the Elizabethtown police officer praised the officer's courageous and selfless actions in a proud post uh, on the force's Instagram account, adding the hashtag couple goals. Oh my God. I bet they had so much sex that night. Holy shit. He was like, did you, when you, I just said, is this happening? And I said, yeah. And then we were like, go. And that was so fucking sexy. Now they're like addicted to it and they go out and fight crime together. They're just looking, looking for trouble. Oh my God. That's so awesome. I love it. Oh, sorry. That quickie came from the website, goodnewsnetwork.org, which is a very fun website to find all sorts of good news. Nice. Yeah. It may, it may from now on be the only <laughs> place I go for news. For good news. Okay, hey, Sally. Yeah, Jen? I know you're looking for good news, like you just said, but this story is maybe not that. <laughs> I mean, I like... It depends on how you look at it. I like a bummer sometimes, too. Okay. Okay. Um, this is the story for Cosmopolitan UK, written by Anna Lewis, and this is about a woman in Atlanta. This is an Atlanta woman. This, so this article is written in the UK, but it's about an Atlanta woman who decided to quit her job mm-hmm. so she could stay home mm-hmm. and breastfeed her boyfriend every two hours. No. 
Okay. Okay. Apparently, there is a thing called it's called ABR. It's adult breastfeeding relationships. Have no. you heard of this? I. Yes. You have? Yes. I, this is my first time hearing this. Okay, so this woman's name is Jennifer Mulford. And she said she learned about adult breastfeeding relationships, ABRs, if you're a profesh. Uh-huh. Um, and she said that when she read about the bond breastfeeding could create between two people, that she was envious. She said, when I read about the pure joy it brought to others, I was desperate to seek out a partner to share an emotional bond with. She said she'd use dating sites and she put messages on ABR forums and she put an advertisement on Craigslist, but she drew a blank and tried to think of someone that she could adult breastfeed. (laughs) And then she was like, I know, my childhood sweetheart. So she reached out to this guy named Brad Leeson, her child sweetheart, and asked him if he would be into it. And apparently he is a bodybuilder and he had heard... Do you know about this? Well, this is how I heard of it, was that there was a story about a woman who breastfed her bodybuilder husband or boyfriend or something, but I don't think it was, I wasn't, maybe it was the same story. story. Okay. This might be the same story. Yeah. So she reached out to him and asked him if he would be interested and it was like a light switch flicked in his... According to her, she said, it was like a light switch flicked in his head. I could tell from his voice that he was curious and excited because he had known, I guess, like, I guess bodybuilders are always looking for like protein. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, my husband's a competitive powerlifter, but I would never, <laughs> never. You should ask Zach if he's heard of this. Oh my God. I will, I guess. Yeah, I'll ask him. <laughs> um, so anyway, so they decided, to, but she wasn't lactating because she wasn't a, she wasn't pregnant and had never been pregnant. So they do this, they had to do this thing that was like, they had to fake her body into thinking that it was pregnant. So he started breast dry breastfeeding her. <laughs> so uncomfortable. Her. I know. And they had to do it like constantly because to work up the milk production. So she had to quit her job for it. Dude. <laughs> How does she have enough money to quit her job is what I want to know. I live in Atlanta. You live in Atlanta. It's expensive to live here. Oh, I know. I don't know. how. Like, I guess you could sell this story and make a lot of money off this story Uh, because it's fucking nuts dude or maybe there's like some you know abr forums that pay good money to watch this shit okay so apparently they do not breastfeed in public she said if it were up to brad she would but it's a very private thing to her so i guess they're not using it's a very private thing to her yeah she has sold the story to Um, she said, it's our time away from the rest of the world, and I look forward to every feed. Nights have been a struggle because Brad sleeps so peacefully, but we manage to cope until he falls asleep latched onto me, which is beautiful. Oh, my God. Night, night. <laughs> I wouldn't ever... Or whatever, if you're happy, knock yourself out. But also get a job. Yep. (laughs) Get a job. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm cool. Man, we're going to run into her somewhere in Atlanta and she's going to be real fucking pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she sold her story. I mean, what did she think was going to happen? True. Uh, Okay, so I am totally for whatever makes you happy. Yes. So I guess that's where I have to come down on this. Yeah. They're two consenting adults, but it makes me feel like I'm going to throw up just thinking about it. It's just, yeah. 
having breastfed a child. Yeah. It's not fun. If you're on a deserted island Uh and the only thing that will keep your partner alive (laughs) is is to breastfeed him. Then maybe. Yeah. Otherwise. This also sounds very much like a one-way street. Who's breastfeeding you? Right. Jennifer? (laughs) Who's taking care of you? (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, that's... (laughs) I'm going to tell you a story about murder, and it's going to be less disturbing. Oh, so. God. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. Yeah. I forgot to say that while that article came by way of cosmopolitan.com UK, it was also sent to me by my brother, Bobby. Bobby! Bobby! <laughs> Why don't you just do this podcast, Bobby? Bobby? You think you could do it <laughs> He always says the craziest story. Also, Bobby, why are you looking up? Lady breastfeeding stories. I know. Let's talk about that, Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a crazy story? I am. I mean, I don't know if I am. I'm still reeling from this breastfeeding breastfeeding. story. I gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna wipe my brain with that. I have to tell you that, like, while the picture I post about this is just a picture of this woman, there are other articles where she posts pictures of him latched on breastfeeding and it is i cannot my eyes my eyes uh, you guys can look those up for yourself it. <laughs> i can only imagine i can only imagine oh okay okay let's hear it okay so this is a story of sharon kenny do you not no that's uh, a crazy one okay Okay, so around 5.30 on the evening of March 19th, 1960, 20-year-old Sharon Kenny was home with her husband James, her two-year-old Dana, and her infant son, Troy. According to a statement that she later gave police, Sharon was in the bathroom when she heard her daughter say, how does this work, Daddy? How's it work? And then she heard a gunshot (gasps) from the direction of the bedroom where her husband was napping. When she got to the room, she found Dana on the bed next to her father. Oh, no. One of James's guns was on the bed, and James was bleeding from an apparent gunshot wound to the back of his head. Sharon called the police, but James Kinney was dead by the time the ambulance carrying him arrived at the hospital. So when the police arrived, Sharon was distraught. She had been crying, and she told deputies that her husband was a gun lover and that he often let left guns laying around the house like and that the children, idiot. yeah, the children knew how to handle them. And James's parents and other friends confirmed that this was the case. The gun had been recently oiled, so it didn't have any fingerprints on them. And although police initially thought there's no way a two-year-old could have pulled the trigger, they actually showed Dana a similar gun. It was a 22, and she was able to release the safe- safety and pull the trigger. Wow. And so they were like, this is... A possible scenario. So while they had no evidence to the contrary, the police ruled the case an accidental homicide, and they basically chalked it up to, like, this was a very sad thing that happened. Yeah. And that is where the case would have ended, kind of a sad, cautionary tale about locking up your guns around children, if only Sharon Kenny hadn't been Sharon Kenny. Ooh. So. What did she do? Sharon was born in Missouri, but had moved to Washington State for a few years as a young teen and then returned to Missouri to attend high school. Her mother was an alcoholic, and so Sharon was likely eager to leave the house. 
When she was 16, she met 22-year-old college student James Kenny at a church function. It was the summer of 1956. So they dated that whole summer until it was time for James to go back to Brigham Young University in the fall. But when James got to school, he got a letter from Sharon telling him that she was pregnant. And so, yeah, so James came home and the couple got married in a small ceremony in October of that year. So they both took jobs. 16-year-old Sharon was babysitting and working in shops and James was an electrical engineer. Sharon actually never had that baby, she said later that she had miscarried. But soon she was pregnant again, and in 1957 she had their daughter Dana. Two years later she had a son, Troy. So the two were living a modest but nice life. Like James was working the night shift and Sharon stayed home with the kids. They actually built a small ranch house in Independence. But Sharon was unsatisfied. She wanted a car, she wanted a vacation. What a I know. A car and a vacation? Get the fuck out of here. But James insisted that they live within their means. And they fought and fought more and more about money. So during their marriage, Sharon had at least one ongoing affair with a childhood friend. His name was John Baldiz. She told John that she was thinking about getting divorced, but that she didn't know how she would manage her house payment on her own. By early 1960, James was also considering divorce. He talked to his parents about it on March 18th, 1960, telling them that Sharon had agreed to the divorce if she could keep the house, custody of their daughter, and $1,000. I don't know why... Wow. Their infant son. But so his parents, who were devout Mormons, talked him out of the divorce and talked him into giving the marriage another try. And I don't know, nobody knows what James and Sharon talked about after this, but the very next night, James was killed in his own bed. Oh, geez. So the investigation was closed quickly, and Sharon got the life insurance policies, which were valued around $29,000, which would be about $200,000 today. I'll get you a car and a vacation. The money was enough to pay off her mortgage that she was worried about being able to take care of and buy her dream car, a Thunderbird convertible. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it was this car that actually led her to a man named Walter Jones only a month after her husband's death. So Sharon had decided she had bought the car right away, and she decided she wanted to get air conditioning in her new car. And so she went to the car lot where Walter worked to get it done. And Walter talked her into buying a new car, and then the two started an affair. And unfortunately, Walter was married to a 23-year-old named Patricia, and the two had two children together. They had been high school sweethearts and had been married for almost five years. Apparently, Walter was somewhat known for having affairs. He He had done it before. And so while Sharon went into this thinking, okay, this is like a guy I'm going I'm going to marry him. He's going to be my next husband. Walter had no interest in leaving his wife for her. And Patricia actually was suspicious of Walter's lies. She'd heard it before. And so they started fighting about it. On May 25th, Sharon told Walter that she was pregnant with his baby. Instead of agreeing to leave his wife, he told her that they should wait to make sure that she was pregnant and that he wanted to end the affair. I just to put it in like a time frame, James was killed. Her first husband was killed in March. In April was when she started the affair with Walter, and this is now May. And wow. So, yeah. So, this is May 25th. So, so she probably got pregnant the first time they hooked up? 
Possibly. So, Possibly. I mean, home pregnancy test had not yet been invented and Sharon would have only been at most four mm-hmm. weeks pregnant. So she had not been to a doctor yet. So he was like, let's wait until you go to a doctor to right. see if you're actually pregnant. And Sharon was furious. She thought he would leave her his wife. And so the next day on May 26th, she called the office where Patricia worked and told Patricia that Walter was having an affair with her sister. <gasps> Sharon didn't have a sister, but (sighs) so she actually asked if the two could meet up and talk about it. And because Patricia was already suspicious about Walter having an affair, she agreed to meet up with a stranger later that day. So Patricia left work that evening with a couple that she often carpooled with. She asked them that to make a stop so that she could run a quick errand. And the couple saw her get out of the car, cross the street to talk to a woman in another car. And then she came back told them, you guys should go. I'm going to go with this woman. And then and then left. And the couple actually allowed her to go, but they were like, something's weird here. And so they followed the car for a few minutes. But then they were like, you know what? We're overreacting. And so they left and went home. So Patricia actually never made it home that night. When Walter got home, he got a call from the babysitter asking why Patricia had never come to pick up the children. Oh, no. And so he filed a missing persons report and he began calling around to Patricia's friends. And then when he talked to the couple that drove her, they gave him a description of the car and the woman and he knew it was Sharon. Oh my God. So he called Sharon and she admitted that she had met up with Patricia, but said that I just met up with her to tell her about the affair. And then I dropped her back home. And then she told Walter that she had last seen Patricia talking to an unknown man in a green Ford car and Walter went to her house and he actually threatened her with a knife, but Sharon stuck to her story. And so Walter didn't believe her. So he he actually searched her purse for a 22 caliber gun that he knew she carried and it wasn't there. <gasps> so Walter left and Sharon called that childhood friend, John Valdez, and she said, um, I think we need to go look for Patricia. She said, I feel bad because maybe Patricia was upset and that's why she's missing. So I think we should go look for her. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. <clears throat> so John agrees mm-hmm. and Sharon's Sharon's like, oh, let's go search in the back roads and the woods um, because maybe Patricia was out parking with that man I saw her with. It's just like all right. kind of random. So that is how John and Sharon ended up at this abandoned lot that was known as like a locals, a local lover's lane, which is, was like, was that a thing when you were growing up? Like a lover's lane? Was there a place where people went and parked and made out? There was a park that was an actual playground that people would hook up inside the play structure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, But this was like middle school. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, no, I mean, just hook up in your house right (laughs) like it seems like such a weird thing i mean i understand okay you you're either a teenager or you're having affairs so you're in a car but why we're gonna go to a place where other people are also making out i do have a very good friend and i'm not gonna say their names because i don't want to embarrass them but they dated in high school and they would go to the georgia department of labor (laughs) and they're parking lot yeah and i guess it was always empty or something and then they would like have sex in the car of the georgia department of labor and so the georgia department of labor just became like um, an inside joke yeah. for our group like i don't know maybe they just went to the georgia department of labor 
Oh, that's what my... Uh, I, you know I, who you are if you're listening. Yeah, I have some friends who <laughs> you also know who you are, but they uh, were high school sweethearts and they're still married and have three wonderful children. But one time they were making out, they had parked somewhere and I can't remember if it was a park or like, but something, some public place, but uh-huh. at night and they had put down a blanket and were outside of the car and my friend had her shirt was up and uh-huh. then all of a sudden they there's like spotlights on them <gasps> and it was the police oh and so she, they're like standing up and she has her her shirt is like over her head oh my god <laughs> she's just like bare boobs total out yeah oh my god that's awful <laughs> it's awful but hilarious yes so she and john go to this local lover's lane and uh lo and behold what do they find Patricia's body. Uh, no. And John was like, we need to go to the police station right away. But Sharon insisted that he take her home first and tell the police that he had found Patricia on his own because she was like, well, I was the last one to see Patricia alive. The police might think that I did it. And he was like, okay. So <laughs> Patricia had actually been shot four times in what was described as a, a cross pattern. She was shot once to the head, once to each shoulder, and once in the stomach. Uh. And initial reports and the investigation place her time of death at around approximately 9 p.m. on May 27th. So police, when John went there, wondered why had he been to a lover's lane by himself? And so under questioning, he totally broke and was like, no, I was there with Sharon. And so police brought in Sharon, John and Walter. They all took polygraph tests. And then John and Walter were allowed to leave and Sharon was arrested for the murder of Patricia Jones. And not only that, that they didn't have home pregnancy tests, but they had polygraphed. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It was just a guy who was like, did you do it? (laughs) Fucking liar. Liar. (laughs) Look at her. She looks like a liar. Um, So not only that, but police realize like who they have their hands on because it had only been two months since her husband died. So they actually reopened the case, the death of James Kinney and charged Sharon with his murder as well. So while she sat in jail awaiting trial, Sharon actually did give birth to a baby. (gasps) She told everyone that it was James's baby, but it was born a little more than 10 months after his death. And then Walter wasn't claiming it because he had actually left town and gotten remarried two months after Patricia was murdered. They deserve each other. Everybody was a fucking asshole in this story. So she Were was, they all really young? They all, they're all like 18-year-olds? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So they're all just idiot kids. Yeah, they're all just idiots. Yeah. So she was first tried and for also murder. Murders, and also murderers. And parents. They all have <laughs> two parents. kids, which <laughs> is the crazy part. Yeah. So she was first tried for the murder of Patricia. And at the trial, the defense brought forward witnesses who had been at the lover's lane at the time of the shooting. And they said they didn't hear a gunshot. And they actually hadn't come forward earlier because they were both married to other people. Oh, my God, this town. Yeah. So Sharon's brother then testified that he saw Sharon at their grandmother's house on the night that Patricia was killed. So the defense also point out there was no physical evidence to tie Sharon to the murder, including no murder weapon. A coworker at Sharon's of Sharon's at a local camera store testified that he had bought a 22 pistol for her, but Sharon told police that uh, she had taken the pistol with her to visit relatives in Washington State and left it there. And although later she claimed it was lost, but either way, 
they couldn't find it, so they couldn't match any casings. The jury, made up of 12 men, deliberated for less than two hours, and they came back with a verdict of not guilty. Not guilty? I was going to say 12 men. You'd think that they would be like, burn the witch. No, I think they were like, oh, she's a pretty little thing. Oh, They said that later, one of the jurors actually asked for her autograph. Really? Yeah, that she was like very charming and pretty and... Wow. So at the trial for James's murder, although the prosecution again did not have physical evidence, including they never did gunshot residue tests or fingerprints on the gun, they did bring in her childhood friend and lover, John Valdez, who said that Sharon had once offered him $1,000 to kill her husband (gasps) or find someone to do it. Although on cross-examination, he said, well, she maybe she was joking. Oh, my God. The prosecution also said that even though the police had checked to see if the two-year-old could have fired a, a gun, that they had done that with an unloaded gun that was similar to the one that was used, but they said that the actual gun that shot James had a sticky trigger and that she couldn't have fired it. So the final piece of evidence was from Sharon's cellmate who testified that Sharon told her that she had murdered her husband. And of course, the defense was like, she's a woman of loose morals, so she couldn't be right. But the case went to the jury, and after just five and a half hours of deliberation, she was convicted for the murder of James Kenney. She was sentenced to life in prison. But after the verdict, James's family continued to believe the best of Sharon. Really? Yeah, they said, we can't find in our hearts to say anything bad about her. We still don't feel she committed the murder. And Sharon told reporters that the verdict was a mistake and that she regretted that she apparently at that trial, she was like, oh, I'm so glad there's a woman on the jury. And then she was like, oh, no, I bet it was the woman who convicted me. So she was she was sentenced to life in jail. And you may think that this is where the story ends. But Jen, no, not yet. I love a good twist. So Sharon appealed her conviction on procedural grounds, and in October of 1963, her conviction was overturned, and a new trial was scheduled. She was tried again in March of 1964, but that trial ended in a mistrial because of problems with the jury. The third trial began in June of that year and again ended in mistrial, because this time because the jury was deadlocked. Wow. The court set a date for the fourth trial in October of 1964, but in between, Sharon was free on bond. So wow. in September, right before the fourth trial was supposed to start, she and her lover, Frank Samuel Puglis, traveled to Mexico, which was actually legal under the terms of her bail. Wow. So they left the children with James's father and borrowed $75. But can you even fucking stand that? Like that James's father, who she murdered, is like taking care of the kids and then gave her money. It's so crazy. Yeah. That's insane. Anyway. So they're so Allegedly murdered. Allegedly. Allegedly. She's still on trial. So they ended up in Mexico City, and they checked into a hotel, and apparently they both got sick from food poisoning or something. But then on the night of September 18th, 1964, Sharon left their hotel room alone. They say that she either went out because they had a fight, or she went out because... Uh, to get him medicine. But either way, she ends up at a bar and there she meets a man named Francisco Paradis Ordonez. And he's a Mexican-born American citizen. He brought her a drink 
And later she went back to a hotel with him. They checked in, but a few minutes later, after they checked in, the desk clerk, Enrique Rierda, heard a gunshot. (gasps) When he got to the room, he saw Sharon trying to leave. And she turned, she saw, like, she turned to face him. He saw that she had a gun and she shot him in the shoulder. Oh my God. What does she just have this compulsion to shoot people for no reason? So he actually, he pushed Sharon's, he pushes her back inside the room, locks the door and then calls the police. So she is locked inside. And when the police get there, they find Francisco dead from a gunshot wound to the chest. (gasps) And Sharon says that she went with Francisco to see photographs um, that he, like, offered to show her. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. But then he soon began making sexual advances toward her, and she was forced to fire, fire a gun at him in an attempt to protect herself. And she maintained later that she had no intention of killing or harming him and only intended to frighten him. So which part of her bond makes it okay for her to carry a gun on her? Right? Right. Uh, I mean, but that is probably legal, though. Probably. I mean, probably. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's crazy. So police, obviously, they didn't buy it. They theorized that Sharon and Frank had been running low on money and that she actually intended to rob Francisco. And so Mexican police took Sharon into custody and went to the hotel where she and Frank were staying, and they arrested him as well. And in the room, they found two more guns. (gasps) And a supply of shells. And one of the guns that they found was later proven to be the gun that killed Patricia Jones. Holy shit. Yes. So Frank was released, uh, but Sharon was tried and convicted of homicide on October 18th of 1965. She was sentenced to 10 to 13 years in prison. That's not a lot. It's not a lot. And in the women's prison, she was nicknamed La Pistolera, which means the gunfighter. Oh my God. And Jen... What? You might think that this is where the story ends. Oh my God. But no. There's more. So Sharon was serving her sentence. She was apparently being a model prisoner until December 7th, 1969, when she did not turn up for the 5 p.m. roll call. And there was actually no report made until she didn't show up for a second roll call. And it wasn't until 2 a.m. that the Mexico City police were alerted that Sharon Kenny had escaped. (gasps) So the night in the prison, there had been a movie for the inmates. Did she have like a Farrah Fawcett poster? (laughs) The tunnel beneath it. She was chipping away. (laughs) So there had been a movie for the inmates that started right after visiting hours. And there had also been a blackout at the prison that night. And it's thought that Sharon had smuggled in some street clothes. And then with the chaos of the blackout, the visitors and the movie starting all around the same time, she had just changed clothes and snuck out with the visitors. Wow, that seems incredibly disorganized. Right? And it's also thought that, uh, surprisingly, there may have been some guards who were paid off to look the other way. That makes sense. A manhunt took place, but it was called off not long after because there was no trace of her. Sharon Kenny has never been heard from again. <gasps> oh my God! Ding, ding, ding. Isn't that crazy? <gasps> Sharon Kenny. Sharon Kenny, where is she? Oh my God. What if you were Sharon Kenny this <laughs> whole time? <laughs> I take off a mask and I'm an 80 year old woman. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, so there's potential sightings in the Caribbean. Uh, police thought she went to Guatemala, she had some, some family in Alaska. But some people also think that the man that she murdered, that his family had 
like helped her. Yeah, helped her escape and then had her killed. Oh, but they don't know. Nobody, nothing. She's never been heard from. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Oh my God. I love it. So that's a nutso story of Sharon Kenny. Love it. I got the information for that story from Murderpedia and also from this great podcast called Misconduct. Uh, which you guys should listen to. It's it's really good. It's nice. a true crime podcast, which we know you guys love. So, so Sally, yeah, Jen. For love this week, I did decided. I did decide. <laughs> <laughs> I decided to do something a little different. Okay, is it gonna be a animal story? No, it's not animals, and it's not about me. It's about. TV lovebirds, Nick and Vanessa Lachey. What? <laughs> okay, the reason I wanted to do their story is because I've actually, okay, I bought on Audible the Jessica Simpson has a new book out called Open Book and yeah. it's a tell all memoir, I yeah. guess. Is it good? Um, so, yeah, like I got the book thinking that it was going to be just like Hollywood gossip, light reading, whatever, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And I'll, some of it is for sure, but. I cried like twelve times really? listening to this book. Yes, like this I love girl. Her. She's been through so much. I know, and I didn't realize it. And like, um, you know, I just feel so bad about misconceptions and of her, and you yeah. know. But yeah, she's uh, the book is great. I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, um, I find her endlessly charming. She is very charming. Yeah, yeah, and I just think like, here's this woman who everybody discounted and she is like a billionaire that yeah, she built dude. herself like good for her there's this really great line in the book and i'm not gonna get it right but um because i'm not looking at it but it had something to do with right at the end of her and the divorce for mm-hmm. her nick and he wanted some money and her dad didn't want to give it to him and Jessica just wanted it to be over. So she was like, dad, just give it to him. She goes, I promise I'll make the money back. Like I promise. And then she goes, and then I did give or take a billion. (laughs) (laughs) Now I know. And so, um, so the book is great. I highly recommend it, but it's just showing her side of what happened with her and Nick. And I do think he's still a really good person and a nice guy. And Vanessa is really great too. So I think it's important that we tell her their story. It is because who's speaking for them? Story. (laughs) I will do it. Who speaks? I will speak for them. (laughs) For Nick and Vanessa. But it was also previously told in two great articles. I got this information from one was for E Online, an article written by Natalie Finn. And the other is an Oprah magazine written by Elena and Nicolau. Ooh, all right, so Elena. thank you for writing these articles, ladies. As you guys know, in the early 2000s, Nick was a famous boy bander mm-hmm. in the, from the band 98 Degrees. Uh-huh. And Vanessa was very famous in her own right. She had always been in front of the camera. She was a pageant queen, an actress. She hosted MTV's TRL. And that's how she came to meet Nick. Because in yeah. the early 2000s, Nick was married to pop star Jessica Simpson, who we mm-hmm. all know and love. And they were starring in their TV show, Newlyweds. Yeah. Which was like a huge hit and totally put their marriage on display for all of America to watch. It was, I loved it. I mean, it I was one it of the first reality shows. Yeah, Especially in really that vein where it was like it went into somebody's home it, and it felt like 
oh, we're actually seeing them. I mean, I'm sure everything it was like was the produced, Osbournes but... happened first, yeah, and then MTV saw the success in that, and then they did Newlyweds, yeah, and it totally just propelled both of them, yeah, because they went from like C-list celebrities to like A-list celebrities overnight with this show, yeah. And what's funny, this is just a little tidbit, which I learned from the book, Open Book, but do you know that Jessica Simpson later went on to buy Ozzy Osbourne's house that they filmed that show in? Oh, really? And that's where she lives now. Oh, yeah. That's I so think crazy. she lives in it now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she lives in it now. Okay. So they were, you know, their whole marriage was on display for all of America, and everybody saw their ups and downs, and it took... A toll on them, for sure. Right. Um, plus, they were very young. I think Nick was like 29 and Jessica was 23. Yeah. You know, it was just very, very young. What's crazy is that because they would always go on MTV to promote the shows, Vanessa Manillo have to interview them constantly about their marriage right. and about their life together. So everything was like platonic and they were just friends. And so their worlds would often collide. Sadly, because of... Well, a bunch of different factors. In 2005, Jessica Simpson asked for a divorce, and then the agreement was finalized in 2006. And so, as many of you know, Nick was devastated. Yes. As you can see in his MTV rockumentary. It was like a behind-the-scenes documentary of him filming, uh, creating the album, What's Left of Me. Yeah. What was left of him. So the, the whole album is written about his painful divorce. Right. And so when it came time to record the video, Nick decided to ask Vanessa Manila to play his wife. But apparently Nick had originally only asked Vanessa to be in the video because he thought that if Vanessa was in it, that he would get a better chance of this video getting played on TRL because oh. she was in the video and yeah. she was the host of TRL which all I right mean, Nick I mean that's smart. smart smart business smart I guess but also user <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she knew <laughs> probably yes, yes yes so but apparently while on set the sparks just instantly flew Vanessa was also recently single um, because she had just been off again with her on again off again mm-hmm. boyfriend um, a baseball player you may know him his name's Derek Jeter and they were together between 2003 and 2006 on and off was it Derek Jeter that famously would give gift bags to women he hooked up with or was that Alex Rodriguez I don't know you remember hearing that I just remember hearing that like in when he was like dating around a ton that he would when women would leave he would give them a parting gift man I've never gotten um a gift bag I think the (laughs) gift bag was maybe my own shit Right. In a Publix plastic bag <laughs> that sat in the back of his car for six yeah. months, and then he finally gave it to me. I never got anything fun out of a breakup besides a headache. Yeah, I don't uh, think these were breakups. I think these were like one night stands. Oh, yeah. Like, but it, yeah, it was I don't like think I ever got anything fun out of one. <laughs> no, just a bag full of regret. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, walk a shame home. <laughs> yeah. So Vanessa actually told Billboard magazine in 2017, she said the video, which was on TRL, was the beginning of our relationship. That's what made it no longer friends, and it got romantic. To the point that if you go back and look at the video when he came to premiere it, I was so nervous and so crushing him that I didn't show up for work that day. I called in sick. Well, then who's going to announce your video? (laughs) That was the whole point, Vanessa. Vanessa. 
That's a, your job. So in the summer of 2006, Nick and Vanessa officially start dating. But on camera, Nick was playing, you know, because he had to promote this album and he had his show. So on, on oh, camera, right. he was playing the like single guy working through his divorce. But off camera, he was falling in love with Vanessa. Yeah. And so in the video of the making of What's Left in Me, he made references by saying, like, do I believe that, and this is a quote, do I believe that I'll fall in love again one day? I certainly hope so. I hope I'll not be the jerk Uncle Bachelor for the rest of my life. But really, he was already falling in love with Vanessa. So he knew. He He knew. knew. And on their first date, he was filming his show in Trenton, New Jersey, and she was filming in New York. So she took a train to meet him in Trenton, New Jersey. And the only restaurant that was open on a Monday night in Trenton, New Jersey was Hooters. Yeah, I knew it. So they had (laughs) their first date at Hooters, but they had a great time. And then afterwards... Amazing chicken wings. Good boobs. Yeah, great boobs. (laughs) Great conversation, <laughs> good times. So Nick and Jessica, they they would like talk. I'm sorry, oh, I did it. Nick and Vanessa. <laughs> okay, so Nick and Vanessa would talk on the phone all the time, and then she stayed on in New York, and he moved back to LA. They did long distance, but then in December of 2006, they made it official, and they made it publicly official when on MTV during the New Year's Eve broadcast they, they smooched at midnight and everybody went ape shit oh they amazing. were like I fucking knew it, <laughs> knew it. <laughs> so then but in june of 2009 they briefly broke up they no. were together for so that they were already together for three years at that point uh-huh. and then in june of 2009 they had to break up you know they went through some things but it didn't stick like he said um, it, it, during the breakup, Nick told Us Magazine, um, we're trying to figure things out. I don't pretend to know what the future holds, but everything's good. Vanessa's a good girl, and I care a lot about her. So they ended up getting back together. They patched things up, which is good. And then in two, November of 2010, Nick at the Montage Hotel in Orange County, got down on both of his knees, which he joked is called his full begging position, and he (laughs) asked Vanessa to be his wife. And then he also gave her a $125,000 Asher cut diamond ring. Oh, that'll that'll seal the deal. That'll seal it, because she did say yes. (laughs) She said yes. And so after a long and public courtship, uh, when Nick, in 2011, when Nick was 37 and Vanessa was 30, they tied the knot at a private tiny ceremony on Sir Richard Branson's, <laughs> Branson's 74-acre private island in the British Virginia Island. Virgin so, Islands. So. so just a simple, simple wedding. Yeah, so simple. And, you know, very, very private. <laughs> Very private because during the ceremony, TLC was there taping it for a feature length special for their <laughs> network called Nick and Vanessa's Dream Wedding. <laughs> Very private. Very private. So they apparently they planned the ceremony uh, ceremony in less than two months, and they didn't tell anybody where it was going to be. They but they bought plane tickets to for thirty five of their guests. 
and um, sent them plane tickets and just told them to dress up in a quote-unquote island sheet. So anyway, so <laughs> I'm sure it was beautiful. We I'm could all sure. go back and watch it. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, we could, I'm sure we'll post pictures. Right. Then in September 12, 2012, they welcomed the birth of their first child, Camden, beautiful baby boy. And then on January 5th, 2015, they welcomed their beautiful daughter, Brooklyn, and um, December 26, 2016, they had their third child. His name is Phoenix. It's a son named Phoenix. And I have to tell you, I looked up pictures. They're beautiful. Oh, well, of course. They're two I know. How amazing have- people. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're just the most beautiful family. And Jessica Simpson's family also. Gorgeous. Yeah. So happy for all of them. But so today, they live together. They have they've been together for nine years and they have three kids and they're going strong and they're super happy. And they say that the secret trick to their happy marriage is a little game called rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) That they said that whenever they have to like come up with like, who's going to do this and who's going to do that. They just rock, paper, scissors it. So there's like no blame because it's like rock, paper, scissors. Who's going to do that. But they also said it's all about communication. He says that he always wants to be there for her. And so she knows that the the trick to that is being open and being like, I need this from you because right. he just, otherwise, how is he supposed to know? Yeah. So, um, and they also work together frequently, which is, has been good for their relationship, for their relationship. I don't know that that would work for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, They were both on Dancing with the Stars together in 2017. Vanessa made it one week longer than Nick, by the way. And then they also co-hosted the Miss USA pageant. And then for two years, I believe. And now they're co-hosting a show on Netflix. It's called Love is Blind. Oh, I have not. I've been hearing about this. Everybody's going crazy over it. I'm surprised you have not watched it. I am going to watch it tonight. And so to end it all with a beautiful quote from Miss Vanessa, which she told to E! News in 2018, she said, Why we got married and why I love this man, even though he's toward the world, world and has many adoring fans both women and men he's still that guy from ohio who wants to go outside and rake the drainage ditch (laughs) she said my point is we are very active in our family we want to be active in our kids lives and that's why i love this guy yeah Oh, the end. From knowing people that know him, he's like the unofficial mayor of Cincinnati. Yeah. That I think he really is that guy. I think he really is a, a genuine Midwest kind of dude. And so, yeah. And look, who also got married on Richard Branson's <laughs> private island. <laughs> But he's just like a private televised ceremony. He's just a very normal, laid back guy who owns most of Cincinnati now. Right, 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 right. (laughs) I mean, look, I'm happy for all of them. I'm happy for Jessica and her husband, Eric, and I'm happy for Nick and Vanessa and everything's great. And you know what? I bet they're happy for us, too. (laughs) I think that they would be. I think they would be. I really think they would be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love it. Okay. All right, should we do something dumb and something we love? Yes. Okay, so my something dumb and something I love is, uh, has to do with my kid. Oh. But I mean, he's... Oh. Everything's okay? Everything's fine. Okay. Um, oh. <laughs> you just seem very surprised. Like, which one is it? Dumb or love? Dumb or love? <laughs> is it dumb or love? It's both. <laughs> so I took him to Target, and we're walking down the toy aisles, and he all of a sudden is like, Mom... Uh, these are girl toy aisles. I want to go to the boy toy aisles. And I was like, rit, rit, what? Aww. And I just got, I was so pissed. I was so pissed, not at him. I mean, he's just a four-year-old. But I just was like, 
who told you that? Like, why? Like, we definitely don't. That's not something we've ever talked about. Like, right. we're very, we try to be really good about being like, everything's, nothing's a boy or girl thing. It's just a person thing. Like, so, you know, we had this whole talk about it. And he, I mean, I don't know that he really grasped what I was saying that like, you know, these are just everybody toys. They're not boy or, like, you have a baby doll. You love your baby doll. Like, yeah, that's not a girl toy. That's a Max toy. You know, whatever. Um, you have friends that are girls that love cars. Like, are you saying that I can't play with your cars? Yeah. You know? Um, and he was like, no, okay. And then just like five minutes later, we're looking for rain boots for him. And he was like, mom, I want those rain boots. And I look over and he's pointing at these pink and purple sparkly light up <laughs> rain boots. And I was like, fuck yeah, man. Let's get these. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, I mean, I think it was like, I had a little bit of a freak out just because I was like, I just don't want him. I, I'm like, he's so young. I know that's coming. Yeah. But I'm like, I don't, I don't want him to think that there are like things that boys and girls can't do and that, you know, right, yeah. at this age. And so I'm like, who's filling your head with that bullshit? You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, but obviously it hasn't sunk in too far. Cause he was so, I mean, he loves these rain boots oh, and they cute. are fabulous. <laughs> and uh, I will post this video of him in them and they're, it's really cute. I was like, okay, this is good. He hasn't, he's, he's still at the point where he can just like what he likes and right, it yeah. doesn't matter. And I do worry a little bit about him getting teased at school because I know some of the other boys are very, this is a boy thing, this is a girl thing. Like he got teased because he was wearing nail polish one day. Oh, really? Yeah, which is so I feel like everyone wears nail polish now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just want him to grow up doing his own thing and yeah. not worrying about what other people think about him, at least for now. But that's part of it. The conversations need to arise yes. so that he could be like, no, fuck you. I like my... Yeah. Well, that's maybe what I with the nail polish. Before. <laughs> I don't know. But maybe say fuck In that you. situation. Yeah. I like my nail polish. Yeah. Yeah. With the nail polish, I was like, well, do you like it? And he was like, yeah. I was like, well, then... Who cares what Tell anybody else thinks? Fuck off. Yeah. Who cares what so-and-so thinks? My friend Grace, who's like really uh, smart about this kind of stuff, was just like, you know, it, it could it'd be a good learning experience for him and for those kids to be like, no, this isn't a boy thing or a girl yeah. thing. But uh, so, anyway, so that was my something dumb and something I love. What about you? Oh, well. Okay. So for something dumb, so Zach just left to go to Nashville with 30 dudes. That's too Atlanta. many dudes. Too many dudes. <laughs> that is going to be chaos. Okay. I know. But what's <laughs> funny and dumb, and he's going to love this when he listens to it, but like the, he does this every time he's like going on a dude's trip where he does, and he thinks they can't like read between the, or like see through it, I guess. Yeah. As he goes, man, you know, I'm just so tired. Like, and I don't party like those guys. Like, you know, I don't even, I should have just went for one day. I didn't need to go the whole week. And I'm like, dude, if you think that I don't know that you're going to be the first person <laughs> drinking when you get there, like I invented that fucking trick. Like, mom, I don't know. Like, you know, everybody else likes to party, but I just like reading books. Like, I'm not an idiot. I just idiot. love a nice glass of tea. <laughs> yeah. Let's curl up with a nice book. I don't know what I mean, but if everybody else is going to do it, I'm not going to be a downer. (laughs) It's just like, go have fun. I know what you're going to do. Party. Just don't go to jail. Yeah. Don't go to jail. Don't get murdered. (laughs) Have fun. I don't care. Yeah. Um, It's just, I just thought that was funny this morning. I was like, "Mm, I'm so tired. You know, I don't, these guys stay up so late. (laughs) 
<laughs> sure, Zach. Okay. <laughs> so there's something I love is that so because I have like the weekend to myself, and so I'm gonna watch that Blind Love show. That was my plan. I'm gonna yeah. like lay in bed tonight after the kids go to bed and watch Blind Love. And, um, and binge it all weekend. But also, if you guys are thinking, um, now that I just told you I'm going to be alone all weekend and you can come murder me, by the time this podcast airs, Zach will already be back, so you'll just have to murder me another time. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to murder Zach first. <laughs> just so, you know, sorry to disappoint. <laughs> People are scratching off their plans, like, but, oh. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> So that's my thing. I'm looking forward to this weekend. And Zach, I hope you have a great time. Just don't go to jail. I hope you I hope you have fun with all the other guys. Maybe you can be the designated driver. <laughs> yes, and you're so chill. Go to sleep early. Yeah. Maybe they can just like wake you up when they're ready to come home. Yeah. <laughs> so that's our episode, man. That's our app, man. What do you think? I think good job. I feel like we nailed it. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. You guys tell us. What do you guys think? Yeah, tell us what you think. Tell us what you think. Guys, we haven't gotten a rating or review in a while, so you're on you're on your phone. You're listening to us. Scoot on over and just give us a five star rating. Yeah. Maybe a little review, a little hey hey, a little and, hey uh, hey, little hey hey, Never and hurt uh, nobody. You know, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. They're all at Dumb Love Podcast. Shoot us an email at dumblovepod at gmail.com. and uh, you know, live your lives. Have a great day. Have a great day, and get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum da dum 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 da 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 dum da